From PRX, the Public Radio Exchange, and Sandberg Media, LLC, I'm David Dalt with Things Not Seen. And so we tried to devise a process that would center the experiences, enable the agency of these students in particular, out of that relationship building, that conversation, to allow the, the, the things they want to talk about, the things they want to share with the Pope, the questions they want to ask him. And after I said my speech, the first thing that I hear when he answered is like, Aleja, thank you. And I'm like, wow, this means a lot for me. Things Not Seen is made possible in part through the generosity of our Patreon supporters. If you'd like to join them, please go to patreon.com slash notseenradio. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash notseenradio. Thank you. Welcome to Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. We're speaking today with Dr. Peter Jones and Aleha Sestoke Luna. Dr. Peter Jones is the Dean of the Institute of Pastoral Studies at Loyola University and is Clinical Professor of Christian Ethics. Aleha Sestoke Luna is a recent graduate of the Institute of Pastoral Studies with a Master's of Divinity and an MA in Pastoral Counseling. She graduated in December 2021. She now works in the campus ministry arm of Loyola University Chicago. Dr. Peter Jones and Aleha Sestoke Luna, welcome to Things Not Seen. Thank you, David. It's great to be here. Thank you for the invitation. So today we're going to be talking about an event that happened on February 24th. It was an unprecedented event that goes by the name Building Bridges North and South, a synodal encounter between Pope Francis and university students. For listeners who are unfamiliar with this event, there's a way that you can watch it online at luc.edu slash Pope Francis if you want to get a sense of what we're talking about. And we'll make reference to that link throughout our conversation. But I think I want to start the conversation with you, Dr. Jones, and you were part of the group that helped to organize this event, this synodal encounter. Maybe let's start with that term itself. When we're talking about synodal, that's a technical word. What are we meaning here when we talk about a synod or something being synodal? Well, the quick answer is it's a meeting or a council. It actually comes from the Greek word for council council being the Latin derivative. So the, in the early Christian period, those terms were used interchangeably. And principally in that early period, several hundred years ago, of course, was lots of meetings. And they very often refer to themselves as synods. Of course, it means something a little bit different these days. And we can expand on that as our conversation goes along. Well, and so you were part of this event to help to organize it, but maybe we can also give listeners a sense of what this event was. And uh, Mrs. Stoke Luna, if you could give us a sense of what was this Building Bridges event? From your perspective, what, what are we talking about here? I think we're talking about the encounter of university students from different parts, trying to get the sense of what migration is needs for each of us. And so when you say from different parts, you're meaning literally the north 
the northern and southern hemispheres of the of basically not just the United States and Canada, but down through Mexico and Central America, the Caribbean and South American countries as well. Do I have that correct? Yes, it is correct. Thanks for the logistic that faculty members of the university get there. We have university like different groups from South America, North America, Central America, Brazil, the Caribbean, Canada. It's different parts. From an outside observer standpoint, it was amazing to watch, and I want to dig into what it was like to be a participant, because both of you were on the call, as we say. But let's continue setting the stage a little bit. So, Dr. Jones, one of the things that was apparent to me was that a whole lot of planning and work went into making this event happen. And anything, when you're talking about bringing together people from across a city, it takes logistic work. But we're talking about at least two continents and a lot of conversations that had to happen up to that point. But maybe you can take us back. How did all of this get started? Like, how did Pope Francis get involved with even the possibility of having these conversations with university students? So, It's all about who you know, to be honest, right? Networking relationships are the key to getting a lot of things done in this world. We had set out to engage Loyola University Chicago as a community of faith connected in one way to the Roman Catholic tradition, but also serving as a liberal arts institution, the whole community of Chicago and the world as such. And we have engaged people around the world to be faculty members, to be students. And one of our part-time faculty members at the Institute of Pastoral Studies happens to be Dr. Emilce Cuda. She's an Argentine theologian, and she happened last year to be appointed by Pope Francis to be the head of the office of the Pontifical Commission for Latin America. And that means that she's a very high-ranking lay woman in a very patriarchal, clerical, bureaucratic place, right? So she's a very interesting person and brings an interesting perspective. We invited her to participate with us in this event planning. And as our conversation went on, I think she began to really appreciate and see the authenticity with which we were trying to approach this international encounter with students. We joked, you know, this is the kind of thing Pope Francis would appreciate. He should be there. She didn't take it as a joke, or at least not for long. And she put it in front of him. And without too much convincing, he said yes. And it just turned our world upside down. That was right at Christmas time. Just after Christmas Day, I received a text message from her confirming that the Pope said yes. And from that moment on, my life changed significantly. Let me take a moment and reintroduce you. If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt, and we're speaking today with Dr. Peter Jones and Aleja Sestoke Luna. Dr. Jones is the Dean and Clinical Professor of Christian Ethics at the Institute of Pastoral Studies at Loyola University, Chicago. And Ms. Sestoke Luna is a recent graduate of the Institute of Pastoral Studies with a dual degree in divinity and pastoral counseling, who now works as a campus minister at Loyola University, Chicago. We're discussing the February 24th event, Building Bridges North and South, a synodal encounter between Pope Francis and university students. Well, maybe we should take a step back, and I'd be interested in both of your perspectives on this, because this word synod, synodal, it's not just applied to this one event that happened on February 24th, but instead, it's part of a multi-year effort that is happening globally with the Catholic Church to try and, uh, well, maybe you should tell me what what this synodal effort, this synod on synodality, is doing globally with the Catholic Church. Why don't we start with you, Dr. Jones? Sure. So, 
since the Second Vatican Council in the 1960s, there has been an institutionalization of this meeting process. And the goal is to bring together leaders, primarily bishops, but also theologians, community organizers from around the world to think about some theme, to attend to some particular social concern or challenge or theological question. And this year, the Pope Francis has decided that this should be a meeting about meetings. And what he means by that is a meeting about how we should be preparing ourselves, what we should be talking about, how we should even organize our meetings. And so synodality is, in this instance, a synod on synodality is a discussion of how we should go about this business of listening to each other, talking to each other, discerning together what's real, what's true, what we should be pursuing. And that's certainly the first time that's ever happened. And it's so interesting because the synod process, as he is describing it, as Pope Francis is describing it, is one that begins with a bracketing of our own, to the extent possible, our own perspectives and biases in order to listen to others for understanding. We're not listening to respond or persuade or make a point. We're listening to understand. And that's a very specific approach to engagement, to encounter. And that's really the goal here is to develop new habits of encounter. And so what we wanted to do in the February 24th event was demonstrate that, embody it, set up an encounter and follow those kinds of instructions. And the Pope decided he wanted to sit in and be a part of it. Well, let me turn now to you, Ms. Sestoke Luna. When you were thinking about this synod on synodality and the call of the Church to listen, prior to this event on February 24th and getting involved in it, what did you know about synodality and what did you think about synodality? The first thing I know about synodality was uh, for the Amazonia, and it was because my friends in Colombia were talking about it, and I'm like, what's going on in here? That's something that I don't know. Uh, so they started explaining to me that, and Michael Canaris, which is an online faculty member, came with the invitation to uh, be part of this uh, initiative at Loyola with the Pope Francis, and I started thinking more about synodality. And what I understand about it is more like, all right, we have this amount of people in a church and we need to understand what, that we all are members in the same level. So when we have the ability of listening to each other, like the titles and the levels of different situations, no matter if you're the bishop or the prince and the lay person, you came to some level and in the same conversation and in the same language. And then you start understanding each other and you became one. So I think that's key in this process of listening to each other, getting the meetings and getting the sense of, like, what do we want for our church next? Well, and if I'm hearing you correctly, you were saying that your friends in Colombia were already talking about this idea of synodality even before you were asked to participate in this event. Did I hear that correctly? Yes, correct. Well, and, and so what were they saying about it? Were they were your friends hopeful? Were they cynical? Were they thinking this is a great opportunity? Or were they thinking and saying, well, this is just more of the same. They're going to talk about listening, but they're never actually going to listen. And maybe some of my own cynicism is coming through in that question. But I'm wondering if you can characterize how they were thinking about this at the lay level. At the lay level, there's, there's a lot of process in Colombia towards the Amazonia, specifically taking care of the, the common house. I think there's hope of changes, and they're working really hard to get those changes, the political changes and the economical changes, at least to take care of the Amazonia and don't lose whatever we have so far over there. So there is hope, and there is not cynicism or cynical perspective about this is more, all right, let's work together and let's do it. 
Well, and I want to turn back to you, Dr. Jones. You and I represent a certain type of Catholicism. So we've acknowledged and we should acknowledge to listeners that you and I are both white males and we're white American males, which means that within the Catholic Church, we have a certain amount of privilege and power. I wonder what it was like to think about this event from this from the perspective of planning it in a way to try, and maybe I'm, again, projecting too much hope into this, but my, my sense is that there was a real intention to try and undermine some of the privilege and power of white maleness in the process of setting up this conversation. Am I correct in that, or would you say it in a different way? David, it warms my heart that you've recognized this because that's exactly what was on our mind. And I think we were successful in some regards, but not in others. We began very early on in our organizing conversations about the need to center and lift up voices, wisdom, experience, perspectives from communities that typically don't have institutional pathways to participate in conversations like this. And and so we tried to devise a process that would center the experiences, enable the agency of these students in particular to share their frustrations, to talk together, to build relationships together, but relationships among students from different parts of the world in the Americas, North and South, and, and to let out of that relationship building, that conversation, to allow the, the, the things they want to talk about, the things they want to share with the Pope, the questions they want to ask him. We weren't going to tell them what to say or what to ask, but to allow that to, to surface. Now, I, that's a noble goal. And of course, our, my own hidden biases, I'm sure, had an impact on this. Our groups were not within, we had seven regional working groups of students of about 18 to 24 people, depending on where you were. And these were the groups of students. And I accompanied the students in the central USA and Canada region as we had divided up the hemisphere, so to speak, for these, the, the pragmatic need here. And we were not as diverse as we could have been. We didn't have as many different voices as we might have otherwise had. And that's something we're trying to learn from this. But you're absolutely right that our goal was to do something different, to undermine whiteness as the center, the centerpiece, as the norm, and to provide space for a different perspective and a different agency to take hold. If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. We're speaking today with Dr. Peter Jones and Aleja Sestoke Luna. Dr. Jones is the Dean and Clinical Professor of Christian Ethics at the Institute of Pastoral Studies at Loyola University, Chicago. And Ms. Sestoke Luna is a recent graduate of the Institute of Pastoral Studies with a dual degree in divinity and pastoral counseling, who joined the campus ministry program at Loyola University after her graduation in December of 2021. Today, we're discussing their participation in a recent event in late February called Building Bridges North and South, a synodal encounter between Pope Francis and university students. We'll be back in a moment. Things Not Seen is brought to you in part by Liturgical Press. Liturgical Press is a trusted publisher of resources on liturgy, scripture, theology, and spirituality. They've evolved to serve the changing needs of the Christian church, and they produce resources for pastoral leaders, teachers, engaged learners, and all leaders looking for quality books on faith and culture. Lit Press books are available at your favorite book retailer and online at litpress.org. That's litpress.org.
Welcome back to Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. If you're enjoying these conversations, please go to our website, thingsnotseenradio.com. There you'll find close to 10 years of these sorts of conversations and interviews, all available for free for your listening pleasure. We're speaking today with Dr. Peter Jones and Aleja Sestoke Luna. Dr. Jones is the Dean and Clinical Professor of Christian Ethics at the Institute of Pastoral Studies at Loyola University, Chicago. Ms. Sestoke Luna is a recent graduate of IPS with a dual degree in divinity and pastoral counseling, and she graduated in in December 2021, and she now works as a campus minister at Loyola University, Chicago. We're discussing their participation in the February 24th International event, Building Bridges North and South, a synodal encounter between Pope Francis and university students. Well, in the last part of the conversation, Ms. Sestoke Luna, you were talking about the common house of Amazonia. And I think some listeners may understand the larger context that is being referenced there. But I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about how the Amazon and how particularly countries around the Amazon region, are factoring into deep conversations within Catholicism. And I'm thinking particularly about another synod that occurred prior to this synod on synodality that we're discussing that is currently running in the Catholic Church, and that would be the synod on the Amazon. And I realize this is a huge question, but if you could give us a little bit of context about how the Amazon plays into Catholic thinking right now, I think that would be helpful to our listeners. Sure. Well, the Amazonia or Amazona, it's like a big part in Latin America, especially in South America, because it's bordered with Brazil, Colombia, Peru, Ecuador, and other countries. And Pope Francis, since he wrote Laudato Si, or he was working in Laudato Si, the common taker of the, our common house, he tried to embrace an uh, integral ecology. It's something that is new, but at the same time, no new, because we need to take care of our environment. And part of it is taking care of, like, not only the nature, but also the indigenous, the roots. And Pope Francis emphasized this a lot, taking care of our roots. Who are we coming from? It's so important for, for that. So that's why the, synod, the Amazonia Synod uh, was created in order to talk about, like, how can we evangelize, like, pass the gospel towards that small portion of the little towns of that, that have been forgotten. And it's a future perspective for a better world, which is the indigenous, which is the forest, which is basically, we, we say that the Amazonas is the, is the lungs of the world because of the big green area that we have over there. And I think the church right now is founding important to take care of it. And if the church can help the humans or people who really care, take care of, about this kind of topic uh, to start taking care of what can I do to improve these places, to help the indigenous, to stop the exploitation of the nature is really well. So starting having a conversation of what the ecology integral means or integral ecology means, it's a first step of many things doing the church and the Amazonia. I so appreciate that answer, and I think that you gave us a lot that we can unpack here, and I'm going to circle back to a couple things and ask you some questions about them. You mentioned the Pope Francis's document, Laudato Si, you mentioned that it really focuses on integral ecology and the environment, but also on the dignity of indigenous peoples and really calling out exploitation. 
Earlier in the conversation, you mentioned that you had been talking to your friends in Colombia about synodality. I wonder, did you also have conversations with your Colombian friends around the Synod on the Amazon, Laudato Si? Has this become a real kind of focal point for uh, students in Colombia when they're thinking about their relationship to Catholicism in the Catholic Church? Yeah, I think it did a change, like a big change, because before the Amazon was a beautiful place where indigenous were, and that's it. And Pope Francis comes over here saying, hey, we need to take care of this house. And part of, we can, part of it is not only the nature, but also the dignity and what can we do about it? So the fact that we close and we can go to mission different in different times in Colombia, so the different religious communities adapt really well to see and start working with it, developing different programs, developing different missions and specific programs where they can go and work and understand how the indigenous live, not just go over there and say convert, which is the the, the thing that we have. Oh, we're going to convert people and it's not it's okay how can we find each other in the same space and kind of share the faith and our beliefs and our traditions towards this and take care of our common house together Thank you for that. And again, for giving us some perspective on the way that students in Colombia are thinking about this document, Laudato Si, and the conversations around the Synod on the Amazon. I now want to turn to you, Dr. Jones, and I realize that I may also be asking you a huge question, but can you maybe give us some comparison and contrast to how Laudato Si and the Synod on the Amazon and these sorts of questions about the dignity of indigenous persons and exploitation were received in the North American context? Ooh, reception in the North American context is a tough question. The role of synods, these official meetings of bishops that happen every once in a while, these consultations, as they sometimes call them, are not regular. And they happen at the behest of the Pope, really, and and the kinds of interests that they have. And so depending on how a person relates to Pope Francis as the leader in the Catholic Church, will in large part affect how you think these meetings are going or what their reception will be in your communities. And I have to say, there is definitely a palpable sense of disappointment with Catholic leaders in the United States, this potentially transformative moment of engaging the synod on synodality, of listening in this consultation phase to people in the pews in every diocese across the country to encounter, to listen, and to simply lift up their concerns and and help the church be, the Catholic church be self-reflective. How are we serving these people? How are we not? What are we discerning? What are they discerning that we're missing as leaders? And the kind of collective shrug of many leaders in the United States has been very frustrating. I think that the Synod on the Amazon And there have been prior meetings with different kinds of examples, but that one is a really interesting one because it it pressed for a lot of changes. And there were discussions of women as deacons, of married priests as a potential solution to shortages of priests in different areas of South America. Of course, that's not a common unique to that continent. It didn't yield the kinds of results that many progressive Christians, for example, and Catholics had hoped. And honestly, I think that reflects Pope Francis' commitment to the process. He saw more what I would interpret as partisan wrangling and less encounter and listening taking place. And even if he might have had his own understanding of what the appropriate conclusion should have been to the Synod and the Amazon, he decided not to move forward because he didn't 
trust that an actual synod had taken place, that there wasn't the kind of listening and shared discernment of reality and truth mm-hmm. and priority had been accurately shared among the community. And so he wasn't willing to press forward in a kind of political way without that spiritual component already in place. And honestly, it's that spiritual component that is at really the heart of this. Let me take a moment and reintroduce you both. If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. We're speaking today with Dr. Peter Jones and Aleja Sestoke Luna. Dr. Jones is a clinical professor of Christian ethics and is the dean of the Institute of Pastoral Studies at Loyola University, Chicago. Ms. Sestoke Luna is a recent graduate of the Institute of Pastoral Studies with a dual degree in divinity and pastoral counseling. She now works as a campus minister at Loyola University. We're discussing their involvement in the February 24th event, Building Bridges North and South, a synodal encounter between Pope Francis and university students. Well, I, I want to go back to something that you just said, Dr. Jones, that Pope Francis was, and I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but suspicious, critical, hesitant about the synodal processes that may have happened before because he was concerned that a real process of listening had not happened. And so I wonder if you could describe for us the structure of the meetings that happened before the February 24th meeting, because my understanding from what you've said and it was that we just saw the tip of the iceberg, those that participated and watched that February 24th simulcast from the many nations and from, the Vatican, and from Vatican City itself, that there were meetings and meetings that happened before then, and a real process of listening occurred. I wonder if you could tell us about what some of that process was like and what some of those meetings were like. Absolutely. And this is a really interesting way to examine in in a rubric through which we can assess the success or the degree of success that we may have had in this endeavor. So so when I mentioned before about how there's a certain spiritual perspective or posture that's associated with doing this well, we entered into this, this this project with the idea of, of really listening authentically. And as I said before, centering the agency, the voices of of the students. But at the same time, we're working with limited resources, namely time. We were really for a crunch for time. He said yes at the end of December. And so we basically had seven weeks to get our act together and make all of this happen. And so with that in mind, what we did was set up, we reached out through a network of professors and others across the Jesuit universities in the Americas, especially, to identify students who had personal experience or were from communities that had experienced migration or involuntary displacement, migration of some kind, and who therefore could bring that experiential knowledge, the, the embodied traumas, the embodied hopes that come along with such an experience and, and lift that up as the starting point for our conversations. So we got the students together in these regional groups, helped them very quickly try to share their stories, their experiences, and be open to each other. And, and then we connected the groups as the conversations emerged and began to solidify or focus their attention within these regional groups on certain challenges. For example, the group I was working with, Aleha was a participant. Very quickly, they surfaced issues of stereotypes around migrants, the way that the discourse, public discourse positions migrants as of a certain type in, in the United States as a receiving as a typically receiving country of immigrants. And then it also the, ch- the challenges of climate change, the need to make real movement now in order to 
have a, an impact on future push-pull factors of migration. Climate refugees are already taking uh, center stage within this challenge of ours. And in the future, there's going to be millions upon millions of displaced peoples because of disasters related to climate change. And so when those surfaced, we began to think, well, where does this fit with what people in the South are saying? And there were students in Brazil and in Mexico surfacing similar concerns, especially around the stereotypes, the economic drivers. And of course, climate change is tied to economics in a large way. And so we put those students together. So we had these regional meetings, students were getting to know each other. Then we linked the students together. We had meetings with students in Mexico, students in Brazil, and then tried to discern very quickly out of all the things that we have, how do we distill that to three minutes? How do, what do we really want to say? What is the purpose of this encounter with the Pope? And that was, I think, the biggest challenge. Well, and I, you've given us now the high-altitude view of what it was like to plan and some of the, the logistics that were involved and your perception of some of those conversations. But I want to turn now to Mrs. Stoke Luna and ask you, what was it like to be a participant in these conversations? How was it what you expected and what surprised you about being part of these conversations? Well, it was a lot of uh, anxiety and emotion towards this event because like, you were called to have a conversation with the Pope and that just stays in your mind, like running and running, right? But when you get together with the groups as well, all of us say yes, and we didn't know what to expect or what to say or how to work together because we don't know each other. And then, well, at least in my group, there's Peter Jones saying, right, we'll see what is your experience towards migration. And then we have so many different experiences, right? And in that uh, domino effect that I can actually repeat on that because everything falls into that piece of set piece that we need to work together towards what is like this event, I'm going to say it. And it was like a lot of ideas because we start saying, okay, what are we going to say? What projects we want to we propose? What questions do we want to ask? And it's, wow, I have the opportunity to say something and propose something and ask something. And I don't know what to do because this is huge. I want to be part of like everything at the same time. Like you want to eat the whole world because the pop is listening to you right now. And then, oh, wow. But also I was keeping in mind or from my personal perspective, it's like, all right, it's not just you, it's the rest. And from these little like 25 plus students, what are we representing also, like the universities, our families, our countries, what else is represented right there? Right there. So it's like, all right, let's don't forget these parts. We're going to talk about mental issues, but also let's do not romanticize, don't allow to romanticize the immigration the situation towards like crossing the borders and getting people with socioeconomical issues in their own countries and poverty. And it was like a, a lot of edges where you can cross it and fail and keep in the same edge and keep going, proposing good things. Like the idea was to propose constructive ideas, not just like go and claim again and saying again, all the problems that we have, because one of the students said, oh, Francis already know all the problems. And to repeat all the problems to him, it doesn't make sense. So what else are we going to say about? So it changed the perspective, right? It changed that, that the view that we can go on and keep working in the project. And also when we get together with the other regions, like listening to the students from Mexico or from Brazil, it was another perspective of, wow, we are in different areas, but we're still thinking about the same issues that are affecting us around the world, or especially in this continent. 
So I'm hearing a lot in that answer. One thing that I'm hearing is that before you could figure out how you would say what you would say, you had to build significant relationships with these people that you were speaking with. You had to figure out where their concerns were and how they were voicing those concerns, and that out of those relationships, you then built the language of how you would talk to Pope Francis. Now, those are my words, not yours. Would you agree with that, or would you say it in a different way? No, that's that's exactly what he was. Well, so from that, as you're building these relationships, what was the thing that made building those relationships with these other students the easiest, and what was the biggest obstacle that you encountered in building those relationships? The easiest, I think, is when you have similar perspectives, similar styles of life, similar experiences, and you cannot get along with the other one. I think that's what that was the easiest, and it was like so easy to say, oh, this person has experience the same as me, but this person hasn't, but how can we like get together and understand that person or that perspective from this student, right? And I think the hardest part is to calm down and try to uh, understand and learn what do I need to say, what is important to say and what is not, because of the time was so limited. It was like rushing time and it was so many things to do that I think we can, we're going to keep working on them because this is just the first step. But those couple of weeks that we worked together, it was just so limited. I, I think well, that was the hardest part. I appreciate you giving us that perspective from the standpoint of the students that were involved in these conversations. I want to shift back now to you, Dr. Jones, and ask from the standpoint of an organizer, what was the thing that you found easiest in this process? And what was the biggest obstacle that you encountered in helping to bring this organizational piece together around this Building Bridges event? Sure. Well, and they were actually one and the same. I mean, it's these meetings. I found the most joy and I felt the most energy building in the midst of these conversations, which I had the honor of basically eavesdropping on, right? I I would convene the meetings, uh, get the students together, send out the doodle polls on when we can meet kind of thing. And then once we're there, I just have to pose a few questions and off they go. I mean, these are amazing, energized young people ready to solve the world's problems. And they're given a unique opportunity and they recognize the import of this immediately and what could be were determined to make the most of the opportunity. And that was just a life-giving, joyous experience. But I'm also the person who's organizing the event and I'm having to interject and say, you know what, we need to progress our conversation to the next stage. Let's begin to distill out of all of these ideas and projects that you all have put forward together to each other. Let's begin to think about which ones we want to focus on, which ones we're going to set aside for now and return to later after February 24th. And and it was honestly, that was the hardest thing was to force the conversation forward in a way that was pretty unnatural for me. I would have rather let those conversations go and more organically arrive at a conclusion for for what they might say to Pope Francis and how they want to structure that conversation. But because of the time crunch, we have a deadline. We have interpreters that we're dealing with. We have students speaking three different languages. We need to get the scripts in or like the ideas and the themes so that they can begin to research as interpreters so they know how to translate things. We had all these background things in my mind that are they're not the worries of the students. The students were doing what they were supposed to be doing, right? Just being passionate about lifting up their own voices, articulating their experiences and their dreams and their hopes. 
And here I am in the background with this really ugly, pragmatic stuff to worried about getting it done on time and all that. And that was really the hardest part was to push the conversation forward in a way that I would rather have not had to. But this is the world we work in, right? It's a world of scarcity in many respects. Some of that scarcity is our own fault and we have to deal with that. Some of it is just trying to fit, do the best we can with what we have in front of us. And, and that was the hardest part. If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. We're speaking today with Dr. Peter Jones and Aleja Sestoke Luna. Dr. Jones is Dean and Professor at the Institute of Pastoral Studies at Loyola University, Chicago. Ms. Sestoke Luna is a campus minister and recent graduate of the Institute of Pastoral Studies. We're discussing their involvement in the February 24th event, Building Bridges North and South, a synodal encounter between Pope Francis and university students. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back to Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. Each week on our program, we bring you a rich conversation about culture and faith. If you're enjoying these conversations, please go to our website, thingsnotseenradio.com. There you'll find close to 10 years of these sorts of conversations and interviews, all available for free for your listening pleasure. We're speaking today with Dr. Peter Jones and Aleja Sastoke Luna. Dr. Jones is the Dean and Clinical Professor of Christian Ethics at the Institute of Pastoral Studies at Loyola University, Chicago. And Ms. Sastoke Luna is a recent graduate of the Institute of Pastoral Studies with a dual degree in divinity and pastoral counseling who now works as a campus minister at Loyola University. We're discussing their involvement in the February 24th event, Building Bridges North and South, a synodal encounter between Pope Francis and university students. Well, Mrs. Stoke Luna, one of the things that is significant about your participation in this interview is that you were one of the students who got a chance to actually pose a question to and interact with Pope Francis. And I wonder if you could tell my listeners what was that like? I think every time they like someone asks me a question, I, I keep thinking about it because I still processing that part of um, that event. And at the beginning, it was kind of like sit down and with Katie, which was my the other student in one group, sit down and say, All "Right, what do we want to hear?" And I think we both sit down and share our stories of life, and we decide that I was going to share my story. And I wasn't sure about it because like people, like I was seeing the other scripts and nobody have shared something like that. And we agreed like it was needed. And that's why we started saying that. And to put in an, an, a minimum 30 seconds, 90 seconds, like such a big thing, it was like, wow, okay, let's cut it. Because I started with three paragraphs and it was one paragraph exactly. So how can I cut it? How can I say the important things and whatever is not and then not only share a little bit of my life but also link it with the other immigrants that i was representing right that in that moment and it was beautiful it was the, the process of create, creating and writing that um, script was beautiful even peter jones told me to show it a little bit more because he was like we need to be conscious of the time and saying it i was so nervous it's okay i don't need to i need to do it right and it's that one time moment and that's it and after i say my speech the first thing that i hear when he answers is like aleja thank you and i'm like wow this means a lot for me i was like amazed that moment and i said okay come down keep listening because you guys listen all the things that he's, he's gonna say and i think it was important Seeing him listening attentively, but he was really paying attention to every word that every, each of us were saying and picking up 
pieces of that that would match with his life and his experience too as a pastor and converted in in a synodal process and a listening and sharing process with us, which is it was beautiful. And I think he really catched the spirit of what we wanna talk to him and but the fact that we challenge him because it was the idea okay let's challenge the Pope Francis what can we do that nobody has done before it was beautiful seeing him like in the exercise of listening and grabbed all the pieces together and mentioning our names and calling us by whatever we were saying and having the main point of our hopes and our scripts over there I think that's a beautiful exercise of synodality and also the fact that he is a pastor of the Catholic Church, as he was saying, and invitating us all the time. In Spanish, he will say, hagamos lío, which in English will be like, let's make a good mess, let's make a good trouble. It's like affirming that young adults or university students have a voice, have experience and have knowledge, and we can do it. And there is people who trust us, and why not work together to keep building those bridges? Well, and one thing that I heard in your answer that I want to make sure my listeners heard clearly is that you spoke directly to Pope Francis. He took notes, he called you by name, and when he responded, and I want to make sure that I understood this correctly, that your experience of that was that he responded not as an authority, but as a pastor. And I wonder if you could unpack, if I've heard that correctly, if you could unpack the difference in that. What does it mean for someone like a bishop or a pope to respond from behind their authority versus responding as a pastor? What's the difference there? Oh, wow, that's a great question. I think, well, when I when I spoke, and the first thing that he said is, Aleja, thank you. Thank you because it's impressive that a young woman or a young adult is able to refer to a Bible verse. And it was like, wow. And the fact that he also keeps grabbing the specific pieces, like for example, with Ruby, uh, he was, she was speaking in her native language and she was like, okay, from that part, let's not forget the roots. And he was mixing his experience with our experiences and saying, this is what is the exercise of synodality. This is what we need to be doing in order to come together and live together and understand each other. I think he she had a powerful voice over there because he could easily say, oh, okay, we can work together. Let's see what we can do about this. And that's it. But no, he was humble enough to say, wow, you guys have such a good experiences, such a good talent, such a good life. So I don't want to be part of it. That's what a pastor, a pastor is the person that wants to walk next to you and to live next to you and be part of that, not just manage and change your life because he thinks he's the best one. No, he was worried that with us, like, talking and dealing with us and all of the same, wow, this is such a good time of part of seeing your perspective and let me tell you about this also let me tell my experience of life and it was like that pastor element and the skills that he has for sure well and dr jones you teach at a jesuit school pope francis is before he became pope he was a jesuit one of the sort of central ideas of jesuit spiritual practice is, and I'm going to use a technical term here and then unpack it, it's this Latin idea of cura personalis, which is a fancy way of saying care for the whole person. And I wonder, as you're listening to Mrs. Stoke Luna 
describe her experience of Pope Francis dealing with her and with the other participants as a pastor. I wonder if you could speak to how you're thinking about that in terms of this Jesuit ideal of engaging in a ministry with the whole person. What an excellent way of phrasing a question, because, and I think Aleha's response just now to the character of a pastor and how they interact with people is reflective of this principle, this Jesuit idea. And I'm happy to say that, yes, he was a Jesuit before, and luckily he remains a Jesuit <laughs> as Pope. Uh, but a, a, and, and as a Jesuit, his understanding of this career personalis is that no matter the role that you play, you have to always deal with people and center people as opposed to, you know, profits or whatever other priority or goal you might have. Like we're in the business of accompanying each other into trying to find a way towards a better life together, to, uh, uh, to construct social systems, to be engaged in our societies in ways that we can all flourish in some sense. So dealing with the whole person in that regard is central. And what how I interpret and understand that is to say that we have to approach each other as integrated whole persons. You know, we're, we're emotional, we're bodily, we're uh, spiritual, we're faithful, we're sinful, we're redeemed. You have to have all of those things all together. You can't bracket any of that off and then hope to enter of yourself or expect others to bracket that off and then enter into a relationship and expect it to be fruitful or to be authentic in the way that it should be if we're going to try to find ways to work together and, and really affect some change. And I think that's indicative of his, that not only is that a very Jesuit kind of thing, it's not exclusively Jesuit, clearly, but certainly that's at the, at the heart of the Jesuit spirituality. And honestly, that's not a bad definition of spirituality. Who, what is the spirit that motivates you, that orients your whole person to be in the world and, and to move through the world in certain ways? The way that Pope Francis wants the church to move through the world is through this authentic encounter for each of us to bring our full selves to each other to sincerely set aside our priorities and goals simply to listen, to try to understand what's really happening in the world, what people really are facing, what challenges they're really facing as we seek to develop a way to flourish together. And that's a leadership style that isn't very, that doesn't fit very well in so many of our worlds, right? We're at, he's asking us to enter into relationships with one another not as a contractual kind of thing, but as a covenantal kind of thing, where we don't really know the outcome, but we're committed to each other. We're committed to our mutual shared common good, to the goods that benefit, benefit us individually as an aspect of that common good. And it's just a fundamentally different posture and perspective and way of approaching one another. And I think that's what he wants to do as a pastor. And I think that's why he leapfrogged over a whole host of protocols for how he, as Pope, right, in his position, should be relating to others, especially people who are so distant. I mean, imagine the thing that he just did. Uh, Alea was describing this kind of surreal moment where he calls her out by name and affirms something she's saying and points to why it's so important and explains that. Here we have on a Zoom call, with, we're all familiar with how Zoom calls go. And in one quarter, in one of the boxes is Pope Francis, and he's at the Vatican surrounded by handlers and all of the pomp and circumstance associated with that. And he's listening to and sees on the screen a student in her dorm room on the other side of the planet, and he's listening attentively and taking notes. And he wants to understand where they're coming from. And he's not offering solutions. He's simply listening and then replying in a personal way and trying to establish these connections. 
That's how we should relate to each other. That's how he's setting an example for leaders who consider themselves distant from people, right? Who aren't so connected or who struggle because of the bureaucracies in which they operate to really connect with everybody um, who aren't also circulating in those same circles. And here's the Pope saying, well, here's what you should be doing. I'm doing it. You should be doing it too. And I think that's just a beautiful challenge to all of us. Let me take a moment and reintroduce you both. If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. We're speaking today with Dr. Peter Jones and Aleha Sestoke Luna. Both are associated with Loyola University Chicago through their Institute of Pastoral Studies, where Dr. Jones is the dean, and Ms. Sestoke Luna is a recent graduate with a dual degree in pastoral counseling and divinity, and she now works at Loyola as a campus minister. We're discussing their involvement in a February 24th event called Building Bridges North and South, a synodal encounter between Pope Francis and university students. Well, Dr. Jones, at a couple points in this conversation, we've talked about the fact that this event on February 24th, the Building Bridges event, was seen as a first step. And I know that there was a lot of preliminary meetings that happened prior to this kind of unprecedented event where the Pope was talking to people from both North and South and Central America and the Caribbean university students. But I wonder what comes next? What's the vision for how to carry this forward? What is this the first step of? It's the first step of a student-led movement. And we want to be a part of it and support them as a university and as a network of universities. Consider what we've just accomplished. In very short order, we gathered 130 students from 58 universities across 21 countries, speaking three different languages, to be present to one another and to think concretely about very deeply personal experiences that reflect social challenges that affect everybody that was participating. And they want to think creatively and concretely about how to address that, how from every angle and from every field, these students were from political science, microbiology, nursing, public health, theology, and pastoral studies. They were from across the classic liberal arts curriculum, right? And they all want to contribute to this process of developing a solution. Yes, this was a monumental moment at noon on February 24th in Chicago, where the Pope joined a Zoom call and we hosted all of these wonderful students. But that was really a unique opportunity more for him than for these students to eavesdrop on this amazing work that they're doing and which continues. We're continuing to meet with the students. I've already had one meeting to debrief and reflect on what happened and how it went with the students that I accompanied in this process. The others with the other groups are doing the same thing. Some of the groups, they've got WhatsApp group messages going. The students themselves are starting to reach out across these borders and think about the projects and how they relate and what they want to do. The group that I helped to accompany and some of the ideas, for example, that Aleha put forward, uh, speaking on a podcast about starting a kind of podcast that would center migrant voices from across the Americas to discover the pressures and their the, the realities that they face in view of articulating solutions and altering the discourse, the public discourse on migrants, changing stereotypes as a way of affecting policy or a part of the strategy to affect policy, right? But some of the students want to launch some nonviolent direct action, political formation training centers kinds of things. And so we got to explore, well, what does a business plan for that look like? What's the funding? What institutions are ready to help? So we've built this incredible network in really short order. And these are people who are motivated, professors who work with these students and recommended them to us, the students themselves who committed to, and stuck with this process through February 24th, but we've also entered into the kind of relationship I just described a moment ago, a covenantal relationship with these students. We, we don't know where this is going. And because we're approaching it in what I think is an authentically synodal manner, we're allowing our interactions and relationships and what we learn from each other to determine the path we're going to walk together. 
So on the one hand, we have these immediate concerns and projects we want to continue to pursue. But now we're also thinking, what more can we be doing? What else is going? Let's continue these relationships and conversations so that we have an opportunity to discern together the things that we can't imagine on our own and still don't and, and see where it goes. And that's really what the Building Bridges Initiative is, something that is student-led, focused on universities, life and networks, connecting where appropriate to Vatican offices, curial offices. We're going to continue to work, especially in this current mode with the Pontifical Commission for Latin America. But in the future, we don't know what that'll look like. And, and we're open to it. And I think the students are too, and we want to invite others to join. Mr. Stoke Luna, you mentioned that in your experience of speaking to Pope Francis, you felt like he was really listening to you and listening in a pastoral way and was making notes and responded to you by name. I wonder, as you've reflected on that moment and as you have moved forward from this conversation, the Building Bridges event that happened on February 24th, do you feel like Pope Francis was affected by this conversation? Do you feel like his perspective was changed by these interactions? And if so, how? What are you seeing as a person who was both a participant but is now a kind of more informed observer of Pope Francis and his actions? I think Pope Francis was brave enough to sit down with 50-something students and listen to them. But more than that, he became with the ability of saying, well, I have people that I can work with. We keep repeating, and I think Peter Jones said this, we gave him the opportunity to meet us. And it was powerful enough to see him saying, okay, I have these lay people that want to work with me, and I need to respond to that. I need to respond and start like opening doors and start opening spaces like this one. And I'm pretty sure he's not going to be the only one. And I'm pretty sure we're not going to be the only students that talk to him because this will be an initiative that will help the church, universities, and our society. And then him seeing that is the result of, I think he can see the result of his documents, of his speeches, of his hopes for the church, for the Catholic church, and trying to recover the dignity of the church through students who are young and dreamers and high workers, and also the ones that are going to be like revolution, like making revolution in the world. And I think he catched that in the meeting with us. Another thing that it was important for me is our Thomas perspective is like at the end he saying, Don't forget to pray for me. So he's relaying on us, saying, Okay, I will pray for you, but also this is a, a like both ways, not just one way deal. And it's like you come with me, but I come with you. And that's the reaffirmation of working with us together. Another thing that I think is important is not he not only Pope Francis changed his perspective, but also many people that saw him talking to us changed the perspective of what the church wants or what the Pope wants to work with the church. And I think it's like the fact that we call that bishops don't talk about environmental issues, that bishops don't, don't want to open the door to work with us, that the, there is many churches closing, and instead of closing, what about we can open other spaces? That there is people dying because they're poor, and this and that, and we notice it, and we're not just like the crystal generation that everyone thinks about, and it's okay. So these people are paying attention to their world and their society, and they want to change it. They want to be part of it, of the big change. And 
Pope Francis is giving us the opportunity also of saying, hey, world, we are willing to work with. So let's work together, right? So it's like different, we, I think this event influenced a lot of different perspectives, the Pope, our own perspectives, and also the rest that we're seeing us during the, during the event. As we're moving towards the end of our conversation, Dr. Jones, I wonder if you are carrying forward one hope from this interaction on February 24th, this Building Bridges event. If you were to carry forward one hope, what would it be? To change the way that universities think about themselves as a network to serve students across these borders and to get more invested in ways of helping students collaborate on shared social concerns with others in other places that share the same social concerns. I want to see more concerted effort in that direction. And I'll ask the same question of you, Ms. Sestoke Luna. If you're carrying forward one hope from this interaction with Pope Francis, what would it be? I think being able to open spaces for university students and young adults to create bridges that can be able and constructive and not destructive. As Pope Francis was saying, let's construct that pilgrim church, not the static church that we have. Well, Dr. Peter Jones and Aleja Sestoke Luna, thank you both for all of the work that you put into making this February 24th Building Bridges event a reality. I know that it was a tremendous amount of time for you both and commitment, but also it, it I imagine it took a great deal of prayer and hope just to get to the point of having the event. Thank you for all of the work that you put into it, but thank you especially for taking time today to talk about it with me and my listeners. Thank you. Thank you, David. It was a pleasure. We've been speaking today with Dr. Peter Jones and Aleja Sestoke Luna. Dr. Jones is the Clinical Professor of Christian Ethics and Dean of the Institute of Pastoral Studies at Loyola University, Chicago. Ms. Sestoke Luna is a recent graduate of the Institute of Pastoral Studies with a dual degree in divinity and pastoral counseling. She now works as a campus minister at Loyola University, Chicago. We've been talking about their participation in the February 24th event, Building Bridges North and South, a synodal encounter between Pope Francis and university students. Things Not Seen is produced by Sandberg Media, LLC. We're distributed nationally by PRX, the public radio exchange. Today's show was recorded at the William Adams Studios in beautiful Hyde Park here on the south side of Chicago, Illinois. Our studios have a home courtesy of the Zygon Center for Religion and Science, part of the Lutheran School of Theology at Chicago. Neither Zygon nor LSTC are responsible for the content of this program. Our theme music is composed by Gene Keeja. Our show is made possible in part by the generosity of supporters on Patreon. You can find out how to help us create great programs by going to patreon.com slash notseenradio. You can follow us on Twitter at notseenradio. Visit us on Facebook and like our page to receive regular updates about the show and find out more about our guests. That's facebook.com slash thingsnotseenradio. And you can sign up for the free podcast, listen to old shows, send us an email, and find out more about our guests if you visit us on the web at thingsnotseenradio.com. I'm David Dalt, and we'll be back next week with more conversations about culture and faith. Please join us.